The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Exodus 12. We'll be reading this in connection with God, the summary of God's word that uh, we find in Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be going over that in preparation for the Lord's Supper, which we'll be celebrating, Lord willing, next week. Exodus 12. And you'll be able to find that on page 72 of your pew Bible. And we'll begin by reading verses 1 to 13, after which we'll move ahead to 21 to 30. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, each according to each man's need, and you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We'll move ahead to verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. 
It will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their head and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Then it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. We'll move ahead now to 1 Corinthians First, the first letter of Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 7b, the second half of verse 7, where we read, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Let's now open to the summary of God's word as we find it in Lord's Day 28. Where we're reminded once again of Christ, our Passover. You'll be able to find that on page 542 of your book of praise. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross? and in all his gifts. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that, promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So far. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The first Passover would be a night that the people of Israel would never forget. Dressed and ready for travel, with their traveling clothes on, staves in their hand, sandals buckled onto their feet, all ready to go, eating a meal in haste as if you could step out at any moment. And then suddenly, you hear something in the night. And in the city around you, the air is filled with the sound of wailing. The silence of the night is shattered, and this wailing arises across the whole countryside. Fast forward a number of centuries, the time leading up to Jesus on the cross, likewise, would be a night that the disciples of Jesus would never forget. A final supper. Going into the garden to pray with exhaustion dragging down their eyes. And suddenly the night is filled with the bright light of torches and shouting men and a betrayal. Their friend, mentor, and master Jesus is dragged away. And then comes the waiting and the watching. Hour after hour of watching him hang there on the cross. Three hours of darkness covering the land. The cry, it is finished, and their Lord breathing his last. And then the ground being shaken by an earthquake. It would be a night they would never forget. But there is more that these nights have in common beyond just being memorable. In both of these moments, you have death, faith, and life which comes at a cost. You have a ransom that is paid, and you have Christ in the center. In the second case, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And in the first, as the Lamb who was pointed to by the celebration of the Passover. Next week, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, and it's with looking ahead to the Lord's Supper that we are, once again, ourselves reminded of Christ, our Passover Lamb. And so we'll look at that under the following theme and points, found in Christ, our Passover Lamb. And we'll see, first of all, a terrible judgment, second, a response of faith, and third, a call to the world. In the days leading up to the Passover, the people of Israel would get what God had to say to them. 
They would have a very clear understanding of his power and his ability to do what he said he would do. One plague after another had hit the land of Egypt, a land in which they had been held captive for so long. One plague after another showed them that there was a God, a God who was looking out for them, protecting them, and a God who had given them plans for a hope and for a future. But this also showed them that they had a terrible and righteous God, one who was punishing the nation of Egypt for all of the sins that they had inflicted on the people of God. And so when Moses and Aaron are told and pass on to the people of Israel that there will be a final plague, one on which God will execute judgment on the whole land, the people get it. They know the terrible power of God. They know his ability to inflict his judgment on his people. And so they listened very carefully to God's commands and they strove to carry them out to the letter. So what are they told to do? Well, we find as the central part of the Passover lamb, they are told to find a male lamb a lamb that's a year old, a lamb without blemish. This lamb is to be divided among as big a group as can eat the whole animal in one sitting. And it's to be the best that that group of worshipers can afford. Without blemish is to be a reminder for them. Now many of these would not necessarily be able to afford an animal like this on their own. So it was something that they could do as a community, a community coming together to honor God. Now to be absolutely sure that this is a lamb without blemish, they were to keep it apart from the 10th to the 14th day of the month, just in case some defect showed up. Maybe the animal was sick and wasn't showing it yet. Can there be any doubt who this animal is pointing forward to? Can there be any doubt that it's pointing ahead to Christ? John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, reminds his people that they were redeemed from sin with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without defect. Jesus Christ was the one who was symbolized, although they did not know it yet, by the sacrifice of this lamb. Jesus Christ was the one on whom they had already set their hearts, the perfect, unblemished one, although they did not know it yet. So what did they know? What was this symbol saying to them? What was Israel given in this picture? A Hebrew father could say to his son, son, there isn't anything in particular that makes us better than the nations around. There isn't anything that sets us apart. There isn't anything that makes us more worthy. And in fact, we are just as deserving of the wrath of God as Egypt. But God's chosen us. God loves us. 
He's given us this lamb. He's given us a way in which we can be right with him. You see, Israel wasn't sinless. Israel wasn't sinless any more than we are today. We can see this later on in Exodus with the trajectory that they took after being led out and the fact that many of them carry out the gods that they had adopted when they were in Egypt as they escape. More than that, they constantly question God's goodness, God's motivations in doing what he did and more, just like we so often do. But God's already now showing them his mercy. As the child watches the father kill his lamb and prepare it for dinner, as the firstborn son watches his father paint the blood on the doorposts of the house, he would never forget how his life, his life was bought with the blood of this lamb. Father, why did that lamb have to die? So that you could be redeemed, my son. You could be redeemed to live for God. Now with that in mind, let's turn ahead to Isaiah 53 together for a moment. Turn ahead with me to Isaiah 53. And we'll begin at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We are God's people. If we believe in him, we are the sheep of his pasture. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. But we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. Each of us deserves to take on the position of that lamb because the wages of sin is death. This is why we need Christ, our Passover lamb. Christ, the lamb of God in whom no blemish was found. Christ, the lamb of God in whom no sin was found. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When your children see the Lord's Supper next week and they ask you, Dad, Mom, why did Jesus have to die? 
you can reply so that you and I could be forgiven and redeemed from God's anger against sin, redeemed to live for Him. We're granted this through the death of Christ. In Christ, the wrath of God passes us over. We can face the angel of death with confidence. And this brings us to our second point, a response of faith. As Moses and Aaron would begin describing this final plague to the people of God, they would have noticed that there was a big difference between this plague and the other nine plagues that came before. And if you're familiar with the ten plagues of Egypt, maybe you are familiar with this difference as well. You see, the first set of plagues affected both both Egypt and the Hebrews. No one escaped from under them. On the other hand, the second set of plagues was specifically aimed at the Egyptians. It was God's punishment upon them for mistreating and abusing his people, tearing away their infant boys from their arms and putting these infants to death for enslaving the chosen people of God, for rejecting the authority of the God of heaven, and for embracing their own false gods. But now we get the final plague. Suddenly it's not so black and white anymore. It's not just God doing something and the people idly standing by. Instead, God calls his people to respond in faith. They are his covenant people. They are his chosen nation. But even they won't escape this judgment if they don't respond in faith. And so, each father catches the blood in the bowl. Each father takes this to the doorframe of his house and paints his house with the blood of the Lamb. Can you imagine the stir this would have caused in the Egyptian community? Seeing every Jew among them going out and suddenly begin to paint the door frames of their houses. You have to remember that this wasn't a small population. They were becoming afraid of the Jews because of their numbers. That's why they had been killing their children in the first place. And suddenly they see these large numbers of Jews coming out and painting their doorways with blood. There's no question that this was their act of faith. No question that this was their response of faith to the word of God. This was their public declaration of allegiance to the God of Israel. This would have been frightening for the people of God. Did you ever think about that? This would have been terrifying for the people of God, this public declaration of faith. On the, first, on the one hand, imagine if nothing happened. They were the ones who were publicly marking out their homes as targets for the community. Their God was the one who had brought the disasters on the Egyptians. There was no question about that. And now they were publicly aligning themselves with him? What if nothing happened? And they had to live with these people, with these overseers, for the rest of their lives. 
Or perhaps even worse, what if something did happen? Would the Egyptians go through the city in a rage, targeting every home that was marked with blood? And yet, for the Jews themselves, if they didn't mark their homes, there would be no excuse for them whatsoever. Seeing their friends and relatives painting the door frames of their houses, they wouldn't be able to miss the warning that came with it. They were being called to trust God. And they were being called to make that public. This would be their chance to speak to their fellow Hebrews, to call each other to account when someone didn't respond in faith, to warn them of the impending judgment unless their household remained under the blood of the Lamb. Beloved of God, do we do that today? Each time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're once again declaring to the world that we are under the blood of the Lamb. In this case, of course, it's not just any lamb. We're declaring that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb of God. But when we celebrate this, are we responding in faith? Or are we just going through the motions? Are we truly recognizing that we are under the blood of the Lamb? Or are we simply telling fellow believers that we are part of the people of God without actually doing anything about it? Without actually believing it ourselves? Perhaps there are those of you who are here today who aren't responding in faith. Jesus Christ himself says, In John chapter 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Beloved, have you declared your allegiance to Christ? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Our catechism lays it out plainly. We accept with a believing heart the reality of all the suffering and death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. It happened It's true, it happened. But more than that, it happened for us. As we read in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It happened for us. And so this isn't just an acknowledgement that I'm part of the people of God. This is a response of faith. Declaring, I am a sinner. And my sins are forgiven because of Christ. As surely as my eyes see the hand of the minister breaking bread, I can believe that to be true. As surely as I taste the wine on my lips, so surely is Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for me. But more than that, just because you boys and girls aren't taking part, it doesn't mean that you don't belong. You can ask your parents just like the child asked his father. 
Dad, why are you painting the blood on the doorframe of the house? Dad, why are you drinking the wine and eating the bread? It's because the Lamb of God, it's because Jesus died to set you free. Trust in what this bread and wine points to, even as you just sit and watch as it's taking place. God has said that because of what Jesus did for you, you're safe. But beloved, we're in a better position today than the Israelites ever were. We're not painting the blood and hoping upon hope that something might happen. We're not standing in our homes, dressed and ready to go, fearing that we might still be swept away. For us, something has already happened. A night to remember, a night that must never be forgotten by us. Jesus was convicted, he was crucified, he died for us, and then he was raised and ascended into heaven. For us, we're not looking ahead, wondering, will this work? I hope this works. No, we have the assurance of things hoped for in Jesus Christ because we have received, because God has received the full payment in Christ and we have received salvation in Him. And this brings us to our third point, a call to the world. Beloved, Christ is our Passover lamb. And if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we remain under the marks of his blood, we will be saved. As we take part in the Lord's Supper or as we're looking on, we're reminded that we have this assurance. Now the question is, what are we going to do with it? As we read Exodus 12 today, we're reminded of that chilling reality that comes with rejecting God. Imagine, along with the nerves, the nervous excitement that fills the hearts of the believing Hebrews as they gathered around their table, staff in hand, wearing their traveling clothes, sandals strapped on and eating in haste. Imagine the fear that suddenly goes into their hearts when their first cries rose up to heaven, mothers and fathers discovering that their firstborn sons had met with the angel of death. Even the lowliest servant right up to Pharaoh's household, no one was passed over. And you have whales rising up from the city around them and suddenly someone bursts in the door saying, Go! Get out of here! My child is dead because of you, because of your people. God is punishing us for what we've done to your people. We took your sons and we killed them. We did away with them and now God has taken our own. Go! Here's some gold, here's some silver, whatever you need to get out of here. I never want to see you again. Every time, every time that they celebrated the Passover, they would also, they would remember with joy how they were freed from slavery, yes. But every time they would also remember the terrible judgment that passed over them. Judgment that if not for the grace of God in choosing them and freely giving them a way out that they too would have to face. 
Beloved of God, today we stand in that same position. Today we have watched the angel of death pass us over for the sake of Christ. But what about our neighbors? On that final day of the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and a great cry will go out over all of the land. Terror before that great and dreadful day that is coming. And this time it won't be the firstborn. This time it'll be all who stand against the Lord our God. Beloved, do you love your neighbors? I trust you do. Let the Lord's Supper remind you of them as you take part as well. Remember with joy the deliverance that you have experienced. Look ahead with joy to the land that lies ahead of you that has been bought for you. But remember as well the judgment that passed over you who are under the blood. Remember the judgment that you stand free and clear of and think of those whom you love. Strive, beloved of God, to call them to come under the protection of the blood of the Lamb. To come under the protection of that blood. And pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for the Spirit to give you strength as you stand in the safety granted to you by Christ, the Lamb of God, Christ, our Passover Lamb, and pray fervently for Him to work in their hearts, to work in the hearts of your friends, of your neighbors, of your family. Pray that He would work in their hearts to bring them to a saving knowledge of Him. The time is short and the days are evil. But the grace offered through the blood of Christ is infinite. This grace is enough to cover over all sins. And it's this grace that Christ freely extends. It's the Spirit of Christ, the very same Spirit, who is at work in you, equipping you, Look to him. Look to him as you move ahead. Look to him as you prepare this coming week. Prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper. Fix your eyes on him, standing firm in the knowledge that you yourself are counted free from sin and stain under the blood of Christ. And pray for those who are around you. As you stand under the blood of Christ, our Passover lamb. Amen.